selfish. I still knew what dependence looked like. And as I've gotten older, I've grown to believe that maybe I can control things on my own. And I look at all the circumstances of life that show me otherwise as a problem. But you look at them as an opportunity. An opportunity to show us what real rest, what real trust can look like. And so, Father, as we continue in worship by opening your word, may it sink deep down and transform who we are. And may we lift off the burdens that we've been carrying in order to ultimately walk with you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. You know, I, I really hope um, that those moments of silence are ministering to you guys. Uh, that they're meeting, where you are, meeting you where you are in the midst of... Because I know how distracted we can be and how crazy our minds can be. I hear it a lot. I see it in my own life. And so I, I hope that that time is really a time that isn't just here, but you can take that quiet and bring it to your everyday lives. Parents, I'm sorry if you can't, but... It, for most people, right? Most people. So, um, we kicked off 2020, the new decade, with this new sermon series called Made for Mission. If you missed either of the first two weeks, no worries. You can pick those up on the app or the website. But just to briefly recap you, uh, week one, we looked at this big, unified, shared mission that we're on together. And we talked about how if we're followers of Jesus, Christians, we're called disciples, or apprentices of Jesus, who are in process of becoming people of love like him in every way. And out of that love, we have this mission to walk alongside people of all nations, Jesus says at the end of Matthew. All nations, that they might know him and become like him too. And it's a pretty daunting mission, but that's that's the big why behind everything that we do. But then how? What we talked about last week, How this mission is not something that we're meant to accomplish for God in our strength, but with God in His strength. That He's given us one He calls the Advocate, or otherwise known as the Holy Spirit, who walks with us and empowers us to live in the world as a loving Jesus presence for the sake of the world. It's... It's a pretty beautiful picture if you think about it, because sometimes we get this idea that Christianity is about being trying to be a good enough person to ultimately get to heaven one day, right? That's not it at all. As we see, God has already done, He's already given Himself as a sacrifice that we might know Him, become like Him, and do what He did. So that's that's a bit more exciting, don't you think? Way to live and the way to go about this world. So that's, again, the first two weeks recap. Check either of those out on the app or the website. But today, uh, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper and get a little bit more specific and practical. In that we talked about the big mission, but what is each of our unique purpose within that mission? You know, on Sanctity of Life Sunday, we talked about each person matters. Well, each person also has been uniquely designed by God with, in particular ways to be a part of this mission. 
Yes, God loves us. He belongs to us. And we get the privilege of being a part of this thing together. But how do we come to understand God's unique purpose for each of us? Now, that question, though, has a two-part answer. This week is part one. Next week is part two. Part one is that each of us are wired by God for a purpose in serving the body of Christ itself, the church itself. Right, That we have a role within the, you could call, gathered church. But, part two is, we're going to talk about next week, that we're also wired to have a role as the scattered church. Right, that there is a, there's, God wants to do something not just here on Sunday mornings, but in our everyday places. How do we understand our everyday places? That's next week, uh, and how we're uniquely wired. But, part one, um, back in college... I was a part of this leadership team for this college Christian campus ministry. Um, We were a very unique group of people. We were immature college kids who thought we knew a whole lot more than we actually did. Um, But the one thing we shared is that we all really wanted our campus to know who Jesus was. But part of accomplishing that... We all had to realize who God had made each of us to be. That I wasn't called to be somebody else, or they weren't called to be me. That we we were unique people. So, for example, we had one guy on our team who was about as extroverted as they come. A thousand friends, right? He could talk to anybody about anything. He's the guy that you wanted to get out there and bring people and talk to people. But the more we got to know him, we realized this is not the guy we want one-on-one counseling anybody. (laughs) Like, he can't sit still for the life of him. We had another guy who was about as introverted as they come. Almost awkward sometimes. He was so shy and to himself. But we realized this guy was brilliant at computers, at the soundboard. And so it became his passion to want to make the music, the message, whatever it was, technical, work to the very best of its ability. Not exactly what we... We didn't think he had leadership potential, but we were wrong. And then number three, we had this... Free-spirited, wildly passionate glassblower who was a part of our team. Yes, a glassblower. He was an artist. He made sculptures of, of glass. Right? Have you ever seen those people do, do those things? Like that was, that, He was studying to do that for his life. And he was one of those guys who had the most contagious joy. Everybody wanted to be around him to feed off that passion. But don't ask him to ever plan an event if you want it to go well. Right? Bring him to the event, but don't ask him to plan the event. But, and I could keep going, talking about all the various team members, because there were about like 12 to 15. Like, there's a lot of us. But, what I, I bring all that out to say, that the more that we began to realize, I'm not called to be you, I'm called to be me, the more we started actually seeing this mission happen together. And it was a beautiful thing to watch, but, but I describe it because it's really a microcosm, I believe, of what God has designed every local church community to be, including Trinity. And in order to unpack that, let's open up in our Bibles together to Romans 12. Romans is a book in the New Testament. Um, it comes, you can follow on the screen, or if you want to look it up, it comes after the book of Acts, roughly, I don't know what do you call that, nine-tenths of the way through the Bible. Um, comes after the book of Acts, before 1 and 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in Romans 12. And as you're turning there, just to give you a little context, Paul is writing to the church in Rome in the first century. 
the folks in that church are, have, are, are very different people. There's a lot of diversity there. And because of their differences, they're having a hard time getting along with each other. And so Paul comes in and he's reframing it all for them to help them understand who they are and how they are meant to function together. So that's Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. If you will follow with me while I read out loud. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I repeat after me. Say, God, open my heart, open my mind, show me your love. Show me how to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Point of the passage, the church is a team sport, not a solo one. If we're going to compare a church to a sport, it's more like basketball and football than it is golf and tennis. If we're going to compare church to music, it's a band, not a solo act. You know, whether we're talking sports or whether we're talking music, An athlete on a team sport, a musician in a band, they know that the whole thing is not really about them. At least it shouldn't be. But they know ultimately that they play one part, one role in the midst of a larger thing that is going on here. Whether it's trying to win or whether it's trying to create a beautiful sound. Ultimately, team is is how that is meant to function. And church is the same way. And you and I can only begin to discover our purpose when we realize that this thing called church isn't really about us, but Jesus. It's not really about any one person, it's about Jesus. So this church in Rome that Paul is writing to in the first century was made up of a bunch of uh, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Both of which, very different background, jockeying for who was the most important among them. So in the midst of their little scuffle going on here, they're not being one team, they're acting like two teams against each other. Paul blows the whistle in this letter to them. He says, hold up, Romans 3. He said, do you realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Nobody. Nobody. None of you guys have anything to brag about in this. In fact, what you rightfully deserve, Romans 6, is death. But God gave his life so that you didn't have to. So that you might have eternal life. In fact, that's how he showed his boundless love for you, by dying and giving his life for you, Romans 5. And so he's putting all this together and he's saying, do you realize it doesn't matter who your daddy is? It doesn't matter how big your bank account is, how talented you are. Like you got nothing to brag about. Jesus is the only one who's got anything to brag about in this whole thing. 
And so we only come to God with empty, open hands. Only receiving and believing. That's all you came with. It doesn't matter whether you're Gentile Christian or Jewish Christian or anything else. That's what ultimately unites us. And so that, all that sets up what we just read in Romans 12. Where he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of this sacrifice, giving his life for you, he said, do you realize that the only proper, acceptable worship, the only thing that God really deserves here is for you to give your whole lives back to him. What does God deserve? Everything. Everything. Rightfully so for the God who gave himself for us. If you remember in week one of this whole series, we talked about what is a disciple. A disciple is someone who is learning to become like Jesus in every way. We put our motivations, we put our emotional health, we put our relationships, we put our our thought patterns all before God and we say, God, make me into a person of love like you. That is a disciple. And that is what we're ultimately called to together. But... It is something that we have to learn how to do, Paul says in verse 2. He said, because this is not something that we're just, the world's going to teach us. In fact, Jesus' way is going to appear quite subversive to the way that the rest of the world works. The world says, hate and take revenge on your enemies. Jesus said, love them. The world says, take all you can get from the world. Jesus says, in order to gain your life, you have to lose it. Worldly religion says, let me throw some extra rules on you that you have to run that treadmill to try to please God. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new heart and setting you free by my spirit. It's a completely different way. I want to need us to understand that Jesus didn't come to earth just so that he can save us and we can hang out for a while until we get to heaven. He saved us that we might be transformed into people of love in the world for the sake of the world. This is about, Jesus is more interested in who we are becoming than what we are doing. Did I say he's not interested in what we're doing? No. But I'm saying that what we do is meant to come out of, be a product of who we are becoming. Because this is Paul's very focus. As he's focusing on not conforming, but transforming. And that ultimately, God, Jesus himself, came into our real world to show us reality. And as he came into our world to show us reality, he says, as you start to understand and soak on this reality of who he is, he says, you can't help but be transformed. In verse 2, did you notice, how is it that we are transformed, according to Paul? The renewing of our minds. How does that work? Well, ultimately, as we soak on the reality of who God is and who he has made us to be, One thought over time ends up changing our thought patterns. Our thought patterns change over time into actions. Our actions over time become habits. Our habits over time become our character. And our character is who we really are when no one is watching. Do you see that? 
I'm throwing a lot at you right now. I know. I have to to lay this groundwork here. But I want us to understand that this is the process of how, as we get to know who God is, it is that seed that eventually sprouts that fruit of the Spirit of God. You guys okay? You tracking with me? Some people are like, man, this is just a snow morning. I didn't come in here for all this. This is a lot. I know. Hang in. Hang in. Because I'm going to get practical at the end, but I need to lay this groundwork first. Because ultimately, as we realize that our purpose can only be found by looking at Jesus, when we realize this is really about Jesus, and this is about becoming like Jesus, that's when we can see our role in his mission with clear eyes. He said, as you are transformed, as we begin to live according to the capital R reality of God, that's when we start to discern what God's will is. That's when his purposes start to become more and more clear to us. He's not just interested, again, in what we do. He wants to transform us and in doing so, then lead us. And, so, and then from that, Paul says, move, moving to verse 3, he says, all right, let me give you a practical application, Roman church, of how this whole thing works. Because I want to say, if you're becoming a transformed person, it's going to change how you treat one another and how you see yourself. And so verse 3, he says to this divided church in Rome, in light of this new Jesus reality, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with what? Sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now I'm going to explain that in accordance with the faith statement in just a second, a little bit better. But in other words, he's saying that instead of being transformed... Some of you still got some of that worldly thinking that's operating in your midst. Do you know that the church is not immune to worldly thinking? Some of you are like, what? Right? <laughs> that sometimes we, because we're in the process of changing, there's still some thought patterns that need to change too. And if you see one example of what we're seeing in this church. One key example of worldly thinking are the hurtful ways that we can often compare ourselves to one another. Oftentimes we can get into this trap of starting to think, I'm, I'm a little bit better than you. Key example, I'm in worship, music's going. Raise my hand, I'm like this. I open my eyes and I see the person is not raising their hand in front of me. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not ashamed to love Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm just, a friend told me they feel like that sometimes. That's it. Yeah, it's just a friend. Or you're in a small group. Somebody's praying and you're thinking to yourself, I could totally outpray that dude. They ought to have me leading this thing, right? But it's easy to get into the church and start serving and getting involved and think, no one can really do this ministry like I can. And then the more we do that, even if that's true, even if it is true, that you are the best in the whole congregation at X, Y, and Z thing, is it a spirit of love to ultimately hoard that to yourself? 
Because I think ultimately love says, all right, who can I empower? Who can I patiently teach? Who can I walk alongside that I see might have a gift also? A very different understanding of what it means to compare, doesn't it? Or, if you're not thinking too highly, we get caught in this trap of thinking too lowly of ourselves. And sometimes we think, because I know I can't do X, Y, and Z like that person, I'm just not even going to try. Or, we can slip into a little more twisted version of it and we start to get jealous of those we know that are better than us. You know, let's, when I see somebody preaching and teaching better than me, I have to, am I threatened? Do I feel like they're now about to disrupt my ministry? You know? But you know what? What God gives to us, no one can take away. No one can take it away. Instead, a generous, empowering heart discerns God's purpose much better than a jealous, self-protective one. In comparison is an effort to ultimately become like someone else instead of the person God made you to be. Comparison is setting somebody else up as the standard instead of the one we should be looking at. Because that gets us to this phrase, Paul says, in accordance with the faith God has distributed. Now, I feel like that's, the more I've studied this passage, it, it initially sounded to me, Romans twelve three. it initially sounds to me like, God has favorites. He has some people he dishes some faith out to and others not. Like, tough luck, man, if you didn't get some of that. But, but as I studied that original language a bit better and tried to wrestle with it and understand, I realized, you know what, there's this word he uses. He says, according to the Greek word metron. And metron can be translated standard of faith. So if I could retranslate, I would say, according to the standard of faith. We are to look at ourselves. Who is the standard of faith? Jesus. He is the ultimate one that we are to compare ourselves to. It's not about any of us. He's the standard, not anybody else. He is the true human being, an example of love. All of that gets back to what it means to be a disciple. So we see the comparison is one of the worldly ways that we that can encroach in upon how we do things as a church. But another one I've noticed, again, in you guys, not me, you guys, not, I'm never tempted for this one. Hopefully you know what I'm joking too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we walk into our gatherings only looking to receive but never to give. This worldly way of thinking is really, the essence is consumerism. It's something we bathe in on a regular day-to-day basis that you serve you and then you'll eventually find happiness that way. But of course we see that the gospel is completely different. Jesus says, no, no, no. Like if you want to gain your life, you got to lose it. That's the ultimate way that we find who he is. Now I hope everybody in here walks out of here feeling encouraged, built up, hopeful, loved, belonging, because that's what happens when the gospel of Jesus sinks down deep in you and transforms you. That's what we're all about here, right? We got to receive. 
we got to come and receive. Receiving is necessary that we taste and see that God is really good. But if we really want to learn how to become people of love, we have to learn to exercise love. We want to learn to love, we got to exercise it ultimately. Now, quick parentheses here. Quick parentheses. If you are burnt out, if you're coming in here exhausted, if life is taking everything you got from you on a daily basis, you need to just come and take it in. Right? If you're trying to figure life out and you feel overwhelmed, I want you to come and just take it in. Receive. That's, that's, that's love says that, right? So I'm, I know there are seasons in life when you need to just receive for whatever reason. And that's okay. That's actually healthy. However, there are many people who come in and you realize you've been following Christ for a long time, but you've been watching as a spectator for a while. Afraid to get involved for whatever reasons might be. I want to say, man, if we want to learn to become people of love, love has to be exercised. And Paul goes from here to say, do you understand that when we come together as a body, that you have a gift to give? You have a gift to give to the people of God. Just as they have a gift to give to you. And that's part of what it means to be a healthy body. So when we set, Jesus is the example before our eyes. When we're becoming people of love over time. When we're seeing ourselves and others with clear eyes and a natural perspective. When we start to keep Jesus before us. That's when we start coming. Not just to receive, but also to give. Also to give. Romans 12.4 Paul, in order to try to help us understand what we're meant to be and who God has called us to be as a church, compares us to this human body. Human body. And ultimately, the church is made of different members with different functions with Christ at the head. Different strokes, different folks. Some, he say, prophesy or preach. Some serve, some encourage, some give generously, some lead, other parts. But, but all of this, he says, if you look at that metaphor of a body, means that each part is a vital, interconnected part of the whole. You tracking with me? And then above all of that is Jesus leading us in his wise love. That's Jesus. And so you see, in this passage, he gives us a list of some of the gifts that are available. In 1 Corinthians 12, he gives some more. Neither of these are meant to be comprehensive or to say these are all the gifts that are available to people, but they're examples of some of them. But notice, if he's saying that we are a body, understand that a healthy body means that every part is functioning together for a greater purpose. You know, have, how many of you guys have heard of the 80-20 rule? Some of you? The 80-20 rule sometimes called, it's a business management principle. Sometimes called the Pareto principle. That says that roughly 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And oftentimes it's been said, oh, that's just the way the church is too. of the people are really involved and they get 80% of the work done and then everybody else just somewhat benefits from that. And I think, yeah, that might be the way that it is, but does that sound like a healthy body to you? If you got one leg working, the other leg staying up late, sipping Mai Tais and sleeping in, like, that's not a healthy body. 
right? Like, you got, you got one leg that's starting to overwork and overextend itself and burn out, and this other leg atrophying because it's not being used. So while the 80-20 rule might be a part of how things are, I don't think it's how it's supposed to be if we are a body. It doesn't sound like a healthy body to me. But ultimately, we are called, love is called to be an exception. Amen? All right, make sure we're in. But imagine, seriously, imagine if each of us, in discovering our purposes... Some are saying, you know what, I'm stepping up. I'm going I'm to start mentoring. Others saying, I, I, I want to start caring for the poor. Others like, I really love welcoming guests. Others, I want to reach out to the local community. Like the, That's starting to be a real sign if love is sinking down and changing us or not. If I'm coming with a gift, that's a sign that God's doing something in my life. But... As we begin to every part's involved, in order for every part to be involved, it means that we each have to embrace our unique design and how God, is, God has made us. But how do we discover it? How do we get involved? Some of you, you know yourselves really well, right? Others of you, you're like, I'm not really aware of, of how I'm made. How could we become aware of how God has uniquely made us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because... We have this resource out at the bookstall um, that if you want to check out, that I'm going to be drawing from to give us some categories to think through. There's this book called Shape, um, Finding and Fulfilling Your Unique Purpose for Life by Eric Reese. You don't have to read it, but I'm going to take some categories from it just to help us think through a bit better of how God has wired us. And, and to give you an even more practical tool, you, know, you don't have to do this at all, right? But just letting you know it's available. On the app, on the app homepage, there's actually a shape assessment that you can go take on your own. That you, it takes about 30 minutes, and it walks you through each of the categories that I'm going to talk through right now. Some of you are like, man, I don't need that. That's fine. This is no obligation. This is just if it could be helpful to you to take it. It could help you think through some of these things. But I encourage you, if you do take that, tell somebody here the results of it. All right? Talk it out. Don't just keep it to yourself. Actually work that out a bit. But let me give you some categories to consider as you're trying to wrestle with how God has specifically made you. And this is really a, a rapid introduction, so forgive me if it's a little bit brief. Everybody in with me right now? All right, good, good deal. First, I want you to think about your spiritual gifts. That might be an old term to some of you and a new term to others. But in essence, a spiritual gift are gifts that God has given you by His Spirit in order to love and serve others well, if you notice, this passage we just read gives some of those, whether it's prophecy, serving, encouragement, whatever those might be. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11 give you others. You can look at those two and see what stands out to you. But I don't have time to go through all of them, but, but as you look through them, what stands out? Or better yet, what have other people affirmed in you before? Those who know you, who've watched your life, what might they say they see in you? All right? Second, what are your unique passions? Do you love building houses? Do you love teaching kids? Do you love playing with kids? Do you love serving the poor, playing music, cooking, creating something new? Right? Like, what are the things that naturally energize you 
as a human being? What are the things that get you out of the bed in the morning? When you don't have any obligations, what do you naturally go to think about? What problems do you love to help solve? Questions for you to consider and wrestle with. Third, what are the unique abilities or talents that God has given you? These unique talents and abilities, you may or may not be making a living on these. They don't have to be how you're earning money. But think about those things that you have that you can do that not everybody else can. And again, maybe you need to ask somebody who knows you well in order to to wrestle with these things. But if you could teach anybody anything, what would you want to teach them? That's a good way to start determining what are some of the unique abilities that you have. Fourth, how would you describe your personality? Don't answer that out loud, all right? Don't answer that out loud. God has wired you in a specific way because he wants to animate that in his love. Are you an extrovert, introvert, or some other vert, right? Are, are you, are you, do you love risk or are you cautious? Are you funny or are you serious? Like there's, all, there's thousands of ways to try to understand this, from Myers-Briggs to Enneagram to the color test. You can keep going, 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 going. But the point is that each of us, are, or God has wired us in a particular way to show his love through you. I've tried on a hundred different personalities that are not mine. <laughs> For some reason, this is the area when we, like, a lot of us would prefer to have a different personality than what we have. The hard part is actually embracing what, who you actually are, as weird as I am, as weird as all of us are. It's not weird if we're all weird, right? So who has God specifically made you to be? Last, what experiences both past, in the past, both positive and negative, have shaped you to be the person that you are? Who has left the biggest impact on your life? Maybe for you, it's what past pains have given you a passion or compassion for things now. Oftentimes, experience molds passion, right? What are the negative experiences that have left you going at the world with a different sort of lens. But ultimately, when we start to find the intersection between our spiritual gifts, our passions, our talents, abilities, experiences, personalities, we start to uncover who God has uniquely made us to be. Now, let me caveat here. There are times when God may want to use you and you may not be particularly talented for it, right? Like Moses couldn't speak very well, but God says, I don't care. I'm going to use you anyway. So it doesn't tell you everything, which is why I started this message the way that I did. Because ultimately, the way that we're going to discover this isn't just by sitting down with a pad and paper and trying to answer all these questions. That's part of it. But it's ultimately coming to God and saying, show me who you are. Keep my eyes on you. Sometimes these sorts of tests make us go inward and introspective. And Jesus says, no, 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 look up at me and then I'll show you who you have been made to be. And so when each of us are gathering to receive and give God's gifts, that's when we start to experience the church as it's meant to be. So, some of you are coming in here and you're saying, well, 
I may know some ways that I'm gifted, but how would I even get involved in serving? How would I get involved in actually being a part of this mission together? Some of you, man, you are already like doing a killer job at whatever it is. You're already involved and you're loving it. Man, I hope this message just affirms to you that you're in the right place. Others of you, maybe you're like, ah, I'm, I am serving, but I'm not really content. I don't feel like it's a good fit for me. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I am interested in actually getting involved. This is not, we're not twisting anybody's arm. Remember, like, like this is ultimately about being shaped to become people of love, right? I'm not twisting anybody's arm. But if you're in a place where you're saying, you know what? I am ready to get involved. How could you? How could you get involved? Well, we've tried to make it as easy as possible. The first, if you go on our Trinity app, or under Connect page, or our website under the Connect page, you will see we have an updated list of all the serve teams in this church. And a brief description of what each serve team does. And on both of those places, you can actually sign up right there to get more information about any of those. So just, just to give you, that's an option. But another extra fun option, if you're not into, if you're more of a lo-fi person, as Mark Ray called it earlier, is we have a serve team board right out those doors. See the hands as you're coming in? Right, we have a serve team board that has all the same information as the app and the website with all the serve teams. Read that and you'll check off to the side. There's a card on the side that you can put your contact info. And if you already know which team you'd like to learn more about, in, in line one, you just simply write that team in there. If you're saying, I don't really know where I could fit. I have no clue where I could fit. Then number two is for you. And we just put a bunch of different, what we might see as passions or skills there. Check off some of those or maybe write a new one that we didn't think about and put on there. And just drop that in a box right out there. And we'll reach out to you and we'll say, hey, here's some options of ways that you might be able to get involved. Again, am I forcing anybody's hand on this? Am I saying you're a bad Christian if you don't do this? All right, good. Just making sure. But when each of us are coming here, not just thinking about receiving, but also what gift can I bring, that's when we start to experience the church as it's meant to be. I've thrown a lot at you. So let me just wrap up with this. Back in uh, the end of high school, early college, I was a part of this church in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, that had, a, had this pretty large youth group, about 200 kids in youth group every week. And I decided I wanted to be a youth intern. Youth intern. Why? Not because I had this passion, right, to, for the mission of God, nothing like that. It was as simple as I liked the youth pastor and I had some friends, and I figured this was a way to hang out with them more. So I signed up to be a youth intern. Thinking youth intern meant I got to do important things, like lead Bible studies and, and all of these things. Come to find out... Come to find out, youth intern basically was another word for chair stacker. We had the youth met in a, in a, in a multi-purpose room. Again, 200 chairs. These were not the fold-up chairs. These were the chairs that like, you got to like force into place on top of one another because over, over the years the legs have been warped and you're like kicking and, and doing all these sorts of things. Like, like that, that kind of, that, those kind of chairs, you got to stack them about seven high. I did that every week, sometimes multiple times a week, for two years. Sheesh! Sheesh! And at first, I was wicked annoyed. I'm like, do they not understand my potential? Do they not get 
how that, what they have here? I was thinking, man, like, I should be doing, I should be leading Bible studies. I should be doing all of these things. Sometimes service is not always glamorous. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it means we got to do things that we don't really like. But you know what happened over time as I started to get over myself? <laughs> is when I picked up those chairs and starting to set them up for service. I started praying over the chair. And I started praying for the person who'd be sitting in that chair. And I started boom, boom. And before you know it, the more I began praying over that room, the more passionate I became about the mission of God. The more that that became not just a job to do, but an act of love. The more that that small act, which seems insignificant, became an expression of God's love through me. Don't underestimate the small or the big jobs. And you know what? Even today, like because of that experience back then, before every Sunday, I walk around and lay my hand on every pew. Praying for you guys who are going to be in here. Thankfully, I don't have to move any pews, right? They stay here all week long. But, but that's something that was because of a simple, insignificant, like annoying task was actually part of shaping me. When each of us come looking to not just receive but also give, that's when we start to determine what the church is meant to be. Amen? Let's pray. Stand up with me. God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the ways that you've uniquely designed each person in this room. And God, for all of those in here who might uh, come in here feeling less than, God, I pray that you would dignify them as a child of you. That you show them how you see them. Uh, that you would encourage them, build them up, begin to point out to them ways that they are made and created uh, beyond themselves to be a part of this greater whole. God, for all of us, that we would see ourselves sober thinking in comparison to who Jesus is, that his love would inspire us to want to live a life of, of giving, not just receiving. God, we need to receive. We need to receive, and you know that. But God, in receiving, may we, be, may we begin to exercise that love, and may it be shaped deep down within us, because we know that's what your reality, your truth does. And so, God, as we sing now, may you enliven our hearts. May you spark our minds, ways, ideas that maybe we never thought of before, of ways that we can serve one another, be a part of this mission together, understanding it's not about us, it's about you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's